Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and I'm looking forward to charging back into and, and to keep charging through the book of James with you today. The, the book of James is so worthwhile for us to be walking through and taking a look at. It, it stands out among the books in the New Testament as one that is intensely practical. James spotlights again and again what following Jesus, what it actually means for the way we live our everyday lives. And, and James knows this firsthand, so he's a good one to be writing this. James is Jesus' half-brother, and so what that means is he, he grew up with Jesus, but James didn't start following Jesus until after his death and resurrection. And so until then, G, James kind of kept Jesus at arm's length. His posture was maybe one more of, of skepticism, cynicism, something like that. But when, when James encounters the risen Jesus, risen from the dead on the third day, something in James's heart and then the direction of his life pivots because now James realizes that Jesus isn't just his brother that he grew up with. Jesus is the Savior and the Lord, the, the Messiah that God sent to take away the sin in the world. And so, so it means everything Jesus said and did is true. And so James puts his faith in Jesus. So he starts out skeptical and ends up being one of the key leaders in the church, uh, in the church of the first century. And so, so all that means that James has been transformed by the good news of the gospel, what, what Jesus has done through him and for him. And James knows that that transformation now should work itself outside of him in some very practical, boots-on-the-ground sorts of ways. And so in just the first couple chapters of James, just a little bit of review, the things we've already seen is James shows us how Jesus makes a practical difference in our lives, the way we respond to tough times, right? When, when trials and temptations come, James shows us how those who place their, their faith in Jesus responds differently. Following Jesus means something for how we respond to, to the message of this book, right? When we hear the message of the Bible, are we just hearers of the word? I mean, we want to be good hearers of the word, but we're not just hearers. James says, hey, hey, be hearers and doers of the message of this book. James shows us how following Jesus, it means something for the way we treat others. All people matter to God. And then it means something with connecting the faith we proclaim with the deeds we perform. And so again and again, there's no way around it as we track through James. Following Jesus isn't something we do for an hour a week. Following Jesus isn't something we keep kind of sectioned off in some hidden corner of our lives. The gospel transforms us from the, from the inside out, and it means something for the way you live on Tuesday, for the, for the way you relate to others at work on Friday, and so on. And then now in chapter 3, James doesn't take his foot off the gas pedal. He doesn't let up. He moves into this topic that is just as practical as everything we've been seeing, and also kind of sensitive. James starts talking to us about the tongue, about our speech, about the words that we use. So I've got up here with me today this, this box of matches. And the more I've kind of swam in James 3 over this last week, getting ready for today, and where I've just become convinced that, that every word we speak is like a, ma is like a match. And so, so the words we speak, the conversations we have, they can do great good. I, I, I can light this match in my home to, to, to the fireplace and make that room comfortable. I can use this match to bring light to darkness. I, I can light my charcoal grill because all grills should be charcoal. 
right? And I can provide food for my family. This match has the power to do great good. In the same way, so do our words. Our words can lift up and give life. They can encourage. They can bring light to darkness, providing instruction and insight. I mean, every meaningful relationship is nurtured by communication, by words. So words can do great good. Or, or words can do great harm. This same match can be used by an arson to destroy property and take lives. This same match unintentionally, if I'm camping and I think this match is out, I think the fire's out, this same match could unintentionally start a forest fire covering acres or tens of acres or thousands of acres of land. Our words can be deeply damaging. We've all said words, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, that have hurt others, that have created or opened up wounds. Or we've been on the receiving end of some of those hurtful words. We know how damaging words can be. Every word, every conversation is like a match. It's no exaggeration. This Huffington Post article that I ran across earlier this week, what they say about the power of our words, says words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. I think that's right. That's not an exaggeration. And James knew all of this, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he wrote what he writes in James chapter 3 about the power of words. James knows that as we follow Jesus, that means something for, for what we say and for how we speak to others. And so we all need to listen in today. This is for all of us. This is me. This is for everyone here. Every parent that I know wants the words they speak to their kids to build them up and to be life-giving. But, but instead, just, just as a dad who can fall into this too often myself, it, it's more easy for my words to become more like a drill sergeant than a dad. Everyone who has a smartphone or a social media account knows what words can become, knows how damaging words can be. I mean, just scroll through some of the comments or through some of the posts on social media, and, and it just says, what is going on? How do people talk like this? I mean, the fact that cyberbullying is even a thing in our world shows that we need to think about how we can live a different way. Words matter. Even in passing, we interact with others, maybe at school or on your campus, maybe at work, just when you're out running errands. In passing, the words we speak to others can have a tremendous influence, can leave a deep imprint or in marriages, these relationships where people should be heard, known, and valued in a place like unlike any other relationship. But, but instead, these relationships that should be so close and intimate can become places where, where, where people are ignored, belittled, or demeaned. And so what James 3 verses 1 to 12 offers, he offers us help in the form of a wake-up call. You'll walk out of here today with a better understanding of why a disciplined, careful, God-honoring use of the tongue, why it matters, why this really is that big of a deal. 
but you'll also see what you can do about it. Today, I want you to feel that this really is a thing. This isn't just something you can keep kicking down the street, but we want to deal with this. We need to deal with this. And then I want to give you just a few tools, a few ideas for how you can grow in that direction. Here are the three points that James is going to walk us through in this passage of Scripture. He, he tells us that our words are disproportionately powerful. So, so even though your tongue is small, even though a word may seem simple, its impact is tremendous. Second point, James tells us that our, our words can be deeply damaging. And then third, he tells us that our words need to be truly transformed at the deepest level of who we are. So let's read the passage together. Or just follow along as I read, so that makes sense. Let's read the passage, and then we'll dig in together. James 3, verses 1 to 12 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's one of those verses. Uh, personally, I'm like, oh man, I wish that wasn't in there. But it is. So we want to deal with it. We want to live in light of it. Verse 2, but we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So, so James is just using very vivid, familiar language to make his point about the power of the tongue. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So the first thing that James makes clear to us, just to go back up to the top now and start working through the passage, is that our words are disproportionately powerful. Our tongue is small, but its influence far outstrips its size. I mean, this is why James addresses teachers the way he does in verse 1. And, and he probably has in mind religious teachers most specifically here. Because teachers live in the world of words like few other professions. They instruct with words. They write with words. I mean, you can probably still remember some impact that something a teacher growing, that you had growing up said to you and the powerful influence that made in your life. And so because of how influential words are, James issues this warning to teachers and really to anyone who, who's seeking platform through speaking or through writing. He says, he says, be careful. Make sure you know what you're doing. Teachers will be judged more strictly. 
right? The, the reason he says teachers will be judged more strictly is because the consequences need to line up with the disproportionate power of words. I was talking with Jeff briefly about this leading up to today, and we both remarked at, at how important this passage is, how valuable it is to keep in mind. Teaching up here on Sundays is such a privilege. I mean, I get to study the Bible and then organize it into a message for all of us, for myself and for you during the week. I mean, nothing is better than that. I can't imagine doing anything more joyful, more, more fulfilling to me. But, but with that same joy comes a burden, comes a weight, because, because we want to take the message of this book so, so seriously that we present it faithfully and effectively week after week after week after week. This is for, for Jeff and for me and for all of us who teach. So, so, so that means on, on weeks that we teach, Jeff or I spend 15 or 20 or 25 hours a week just on this 35-minute block of time. Because we know how important it is for us to, to teach faithfully and to teach carefully. We want to craft a faithful and effective message, right? And this is the same across all of our ministries as a church, our K-12 through ministries. I love how they have seven anchors that guide what and how they teach. So we steward content well and present it faithfully to kids in age-appropriate ways. I love that our college ministry cares deeply about content, that, that, our, that our GO teams care deeply, deep, deeply about how they train those who are going on trips, that our groups care about the, the content. I mean, you get what I'm saying. We care about what we teach. We care about how we teach it. We care about who we are as teachers. And so, so I know a lot of you pray for your church family. We want us all to be praying for what God is doing at Brookside. And, and as you pray for all the different ways you can pray for us as a church, but, but, but I, would, I would invite you to pray for, for just continued faithfulness in what we teach, for continued faithfulness and effectiveness in how we teach it. And then that we would always value who we are as teachers. So, so James talks strongly to teachers, but he doesn't only talk to teachers. After addressing teachers in verse 1, he moves rapidly on to say, to say we all stumble in many ways. And so, so James applies the disproportionate power of the tongue to every one of us. In verses 3 and 4, James piles on all this, all this really vivid language showing the power of the tongue. Right? Verse 3 says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we can make them obey us. Well, we can turn the whole animal a 1,200-pound horse can be directed by a 120-pound person using nothing more than a bit and bridle that weighs practically nothing. Or verse 4, he says, take ships as an example. Although they're large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. One of the biggest ships in the world is the aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. Get this, it weighs over 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet in length. It has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine. It has a complement of 6,100 men and women. It carries nearly 100 aircraft. 
I mean, it's vast. It's, it's basically a floating city is what it is. And yet all that weight, all that personnel, all that hardware, they're steered by a rudder that is one-tenth of one percent of the ship's size. So don't miss the obvious point James is trying to tell you. A single word you say or a short conversation you have has tremendous potential to influence things in ways probably far bigger and probably far more lasting than you want to think about. Right? Your words and conversations have potential for great good to open up whole new worlds for people, to build them up, to be life-giving. But our words can also have the great potential for danger, to shut people down, to shut them out, or to either create or, or reopen deep wounds. And since this is true, this means we should all be so careful to choose our words wisely. It means you think before you speak, or, or in social media world that we live in, means you pause before you post. You consider how your words are going to be understood and what they could lead to. And if you think about it, I, I, I'm pretty sure choosing your words wisely is just one way to love those around you well in some practical ways. Words carefully chose, chosen can serve them for so many years into the future. Words that are chosen carelessly or hurtful words have the potential to do so much damage. So choose your words wisely because your words have disproportionate power. As we keep working our way through James 3, James shows us next that our words can be deeply damaging. And so over the next few verses, James zeroes in just on the destructive effects that words can have. He uses it intentionally and in very strong language. Verses 5, 6, and on from there. And the second half of verse 5, James says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. I mean, just think of the, the forest fires in California recently. Tens of thousands of acres destroyed by something that started with just a small spark. It's possible for you to say something in two minutes that takes two weeks of cleanup time. It's possible for you to say something in 30 seconds that can damage and hurt a relationship of 30 years. That's how deeply damaging words can be. But James doesn't stop with just verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. As he keeps talking, he piles on this strong language. Verse 6, he continues saying, The tongue is a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that's a lot to take in. That's big language. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this passage, listen to what he says. I think it's helpful. He says, It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world or maybe just the world of someone close to you. We can turn harmony into chaos. We can throw mud on reputation. We can send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. And then James keeps going on in verses 7 and 8. Talks about everything in creation that's been tamed. 
birds, animals, reptiles, sea creatures. I was at SeaWorld a few years ago, and we have tamed killer whales, right? I mean, you can get them to do some amazing tricks. But as many things as we've tamed, as much control as humanity has exerted over creation, there, there is at least one thing that is still just as wild as it has ever been. Our tongue, our speech. Verse 8 says, No human being has tamed the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I think James is using every way possible to show us that the damaging power of the tongue isn't some small issue that really isn't that big of a deal. James is using every way possible to show us that this is something we can keep kicking down the street and maybe work on it next year. James is showing this is threat level red. This is how, how damaging our words can be. Right, The words we say can be tremendously hurtful. I've talked with people who are still trying to shake off deep, hurtful words they heard decades ago, and they just can't silence that critical voice in their head. We, we know how hurtful words can be. I mean, even just the tone we use can be damaging, because you can say everything true, but, but if you say it in a way that is sarcastic, or demeaning, or critical. People know what you're really saying. So the words we use, the tone we use, we need to be so careful with them. Now, now words aren't only these things. Otherwise, James wouldn't be using words to write the letter that he's writing. But, but I think he knows that words can easily become everything we see here. He knows that if left to ourselves, this is what Tim is going to do. This is where you're going to gravitate with your words that you use, with the way that you talk to others. And so James is getting our attention, showing us this extreme nature of what our words can do. And by showing us this extreme picture, at least for me, he's helping me want a different way. Because I don't want my words to be that hurtful. Nobody does. By, by painting words in this extreme picture, I think James is trying to stir up our desire to want something different, to want something better for the way that we talk to others around us. So let me just insert one quick application here. If our words can be this damaging, we know they all, or we all know they can be. However hard we try to make our words better, we know we're still going to mess up. All of that means that we need to get really good at saying, I'm sorry. We need to get really used to saying, will you forgive me? I need this because there are too many times when my tone doesn't come out right. There are too many times when I'm just not as careful as I want to be with my words. And so, so we should be quick to add these phrases to our dictionary. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then we, we use these phrases genuinely and generously. All right, so we've seen the, the power that words have. We've seen the damage they can do. Here's our third point. Our words need to be truly transformed at the deepest levels of who we are. Carrie and I, a lot of you know, we have four boys, and, and they're great kids, uh, proud of all of them in each of different ways. Um, but, but like most siblings, 
their relationship as siblings isn't always characterized by perfect harmony. You know, I, I have yet to hear one of them say to the other brother, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to give you my Xbox time today, right? I mean, we just, we just don't hear that. Instead, they pick on each other verbally. They pick on each other physically. And so whenever Carrie and I catch something that, that needs to be addressed, because that happens, right? We usually bring the two erring brothers together, you know, and then have them apologize, have them ask for forgiveness for whatever needs to be, whatever needs to be reconciled and addressed. And then usually there's a few uh, iterations of that process. Because the first time through, any apology is said at like times four speed, and then it's more mumbled under the breath than actually verbally expressed, right? And so it's then we kind of say, hey, let's try this more, guys. Let's, let's look for some level of sincerity, that sort of thing. The, the, the transformation we want to see, it's not in their words, because they're saying the right things mechanically. That the transformation we want to see is in their hearts. And the same is true for us. You see, if, if we want to truly tame the tongue, it's not just a mechanical process of focusing only on our tongue. Because you can learn all the communication technique in the world, which, which hear me say, communication technique is valuable. We need good communication skills. We could probably all go to school on that and benefit from that. But technique isn't enough. If your only focus is technique, if your only focus is, is the mechanics of it, I would say you're dealing with a symptom and not the source. This is what James is telling us in the last few verses of the passage I read, where, where he starts talking about salt water and spring water and olives and figs and things like that. The, the point he's making is, is, is simple, but it is so profound if you think about it for three minutes. He says, whatever comes out of the mouth unfailingly reveals what's in your heart. Ouch. Whatever comes out of your mouth unfailingly reveals what's really in your heart. It's like James is saying, hey, let me listen to you for a week. I'll tell you what's in your heart. Jesus basically says it the, the same way in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35. He, he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good sort of for him or in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil sort of in him. And so today we've mentioned lots of practical things kind of scattered throughout what I've said so far, right? I mean, choose your words wisely. Pause before you post. Get really good at saying, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? Watch your tone. All of these things are good. If we stayed here longer, we could add to that list by a lot. We need practical tips. But all of those practical tips, as valuable as they are, by themselves won't lead to true, lasting change. If you want transformation of the tongue, we need to have a transformation of the heart. And then the good news the great news is that is exactly what Jesus Christ came to make possible. You see, Jesus didn't just come to clean up your speech. Jesus came to make you new. 
to, to transform your heart, which transforms your desires, which transforms your actions, to renew yourself into who God wants you to be. And so as we follow Jesus in faith and in obedience, as we trust in him alone as our Savior and our Lord, that this transformed heart that he graciously gives, it eventually produces the fruit of transformed speech. Not always as quickly as we want, right? Not always in exactly the ways that we want, because we're all in progress. There's not perfection this side of heaven. But, but I think James is pointing us towards progress in our speech with what he writes. So, so what this looks like practically is it just means we, we first of all surrender our hearts to Jesus, where, where we understand that, hey, Jesus controls even this part of my life. I'm going to open up that Tenza barrier and let him in to my life in this area, into my speech, where I just know this is one of the things about my life that Jesus has authority over. And so that means when somebody cuts me off when I'm driving, it means Jesus cares about what I say. It means Jesus wants me to respond not with anger or choice words, but, but at least with some sort of measured speech, you know, with some sort of intentionality in what I say. So there's not this angry outburst. And then, so it starts with that, with, with that big surrender and then it, that takes shape in lots of daily decisions. Okay, Jesus, you care about what I say. Now, how can I be more known for encouraging others than belittling them? How can I look to build others up more than tear them down? How can I be encouraging in my tone rather than demeaning? That's the difference that Jesus makes, that a transformed heart makes in our lives. Every word we speak, every small conversation we have is a match. That match can be used to do great harm. It can tear people down. It can hurt feelings. It can open up wounds. Or that same match can be used to do such great good, giving life to people, instructing them in loving ways, giving them a vision for who they can be, as God's creation. And in, in a world where everyone has something to say, and in a world where everyone has a platform to say it, I think this, this, this area of, of why is God honoring speech is one of those ways that followers of Jesus can, can just stand out in some dis distinct, compelling, and, and I think attractive ways to a world that's really tired of all the negativity. James shows us a different way. And so, so a few questions just to help let, let this trickle down into our weeks and into our actions. What, what conversations do you have coming up this week? Maybe it's a face-to-face. -face. Maybe it's an email that you need to respond to that you've not yet. But, but how can you make sure that you are choosing your words wisely in that conversation? How can you be appropriately disciplined in your speech? Another question. Who have you hurt this week with your tone of voice, with words you've said? And then what are you going to do to arrange a face-to-face -face with them? Just to say, I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Third question. Are you willing to let God shape 
and renew your hearts. Where he sets the direction that you go, even in this area of speech. But it starts with direction, the direction you're going. Are you willing to let God have that sort of control, good control, gracious control over what you say and how you say it? And so Brookside, let's be that sort of church that stands out in all these ways we've talked about today in terms of wise, measured, God-honoring speech. Let's, let's do everything we can as a church family to resist and avoid gossip, slander, angry outbursts. Well, let's just pursue what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 29, where he, he gives us like the, the, the vision in a verse for who we want to be. As God's people with our speech, he says, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what, what, is, what is helpful for others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who hear. And then always, always, always remember that transformed speech flows from a transformed heart. And so let's commit by God's grace to cultivating hearts that love Jesus and God supremely, that love others sacrificially. And then as we do that, as we set those big rocks in place, transformed speech is going to fall into place. Again, not perfectly, but we can see true progress and stand out in great ways as a church family about this. Every word we speak is like a match. How are you going to use your matches? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, let me start with myself this morning. Father, help me honor you with wise and godly speech. God, on the words I say and the tone that I use, May I serve others through building them up. May I, may I look actively for ways to encourage others, to pray for them. And that God, God, for all of us, help us be that sort of a church that in, in, in a world that is so tired of negative speech, God, help us stand out as distinct, as, as your people in Omaha, in, in wise, measured, disciplined, uh, others-centered, encouraging speech. Jesus, help us to start that with our hearts, to have the sort of hearts that are, that are gladly surrendered to your good leadership. And then over the course of time to say, Jesus, how might what you would have my speech take shape in my day? We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.